us open the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 15. And read together the entire psalm. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Thus far, we read the scriptures. On the basis of this psalm and the entire Bible, we consider the instruction of Lord's Day 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which explains to us the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Question 112. What is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no backbiter, nor slanderer. That I do not judge, nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. But that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit, as the proper works of the devil. Unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and in all other dealings I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved in the Lord, what does a child of God look like? On the outside, a child of God looks like any other child of men. But from a spiritual perspective, a child of God looks very different than the rest of Adam's fallen race. And that is because of an invisible spiritual work that God has performed in the heart of his child, translating him or her out of darkness into light. And that spiritual renewal, wrought by saving grace, shines through the child of God. So that in his character and in her conduct, she is different. She looks different. The child of God is redeemed, renewed, adopted. And by grace again, the child of God bears the beautiful image of the Father. Psalm 15 gives us a snapshot or a portrait of what the child of God looks like. The child of God. The child of God is the one who shall abide in God's tabernacle, who shall live with God. And this is the kind of person who the child of God is. He who walks uprightly and all of the other characteristics that are described here in the psalm. Now we understand 
That as the psalm teaches us, this is what the child of God looks like. It's not teaching us this is how you become a child of God. As if our good conduct merits our status as children of God or our salvation, of course not. What the psalm is describing here is the characteristics of the one who has already received the grace of God. All of these characteristics here are the fruits of the grace of God at work in the child of God. We don't have conditions here, rather we have descriptions of what the child of God looks like. But now, a question that comes along with the first is this, what does a child of God sound like? Just as a child of God must look different than the world, the grace of God as a light must shine through in the child of God's life and conduct so that he looks different, so too the child of God must sound different than the world. We must sound like our father. You parents well know that your children learn how to talk from you, father and mother. They learn their first words from you. They learn to use language from you. They even pick up your mannerisms in speech. They pick up the the particular words that you use most often. Your turns of phrase. The expressions that are used around your house. They learn to speak from you. As children of God, we must speak. Like Father speaks. We must sound like God. We must learn His language and speak with His language. Thus we come to the ninth commandment. As those who have been redeemed and brought into the household of God, the ninth commandment is God's household rule for the kind of talk that there is to be Among his children. The ninth commandment is God's word. About your words. And mine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Or to put it positively. Psalm 15. God's children speaketh the truth in his heart. And the idea of that is not only inside. But also what is in the heart comes out. From the heart. So that we may learn better to speak our Father's language, let us give our ear to the ninth commandment, our Father's rule for our speech. We consider the ninth commandment then under the theme, Father's word about our words. We're going to look at what Father has to say about our words in our speech first, secondly in our judgment, and finally in our hearts. As those delivered from the house of bondage and brought into the covenant fellowship of God, made his children by by grace, brought into his house, we need to speak the way our Father speaks. So the pattern in the sermon that we're going to follow in each of the points is we're first going to look at Father. We're going to look at how Father speaks so that we may see how we are to speak. Children learn from their fathers. We learn. From our Father. God our Father speaks truth and does not lie. 
What is the language of God? The language of God is truth. That is because God is truth in himself. God is truth, if we may speak this way, down to the very core of his divine being. God is truth. Truth is reality. And God is ultimate reality. God is the I am that I am. Notice, that's the very first word in Psalm 15. Lord, in all capital letters in the King James Version, meaning Jehovah, I am that I am. That's who God is. I am that I am. I am that does not change. I am that is eternal. I am the rock, truth, steadfast, immutable. That's God. He is truth in himself. That means God His very being is the bedrock upon which all truth rests. That which is true outside of God rests upon who God is as the rock, as truth itself. That brings immediately an important application. That's why we say truth is objective. Truth is not something that changes shape to suit men's preferences. God is the rock, Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says. He is the rock of truth. Truth is a rock, firm and stable and hard as a diamond. Truth is not a lump of clay that man can shape according to his own imaginations. That's the philosophy of our world today. That's our culture. You have your truth, I'll have my truth. Don't you dare say my truth is any less true than yours. That's not only nonsense. That's rebellion against the God of truth who alone defines what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is real. God is truth. And God determines what is true. And now to apply that to our Father's speech, that means our Father only speaks the truth. He is truth. He is the unchanging God, and therefore, he can only speak the truth. Titus 1 verse 2 says that God cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie, because to do so would be to be inconsistent with who he is, as the great I am that I am. Lies, the catechism says, are the proper work of the devil. Truth, and speaking the truth, is the proper work of God. Thus, the content of God's speech is always true. Psalm 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. God's word is true. It gives light. Its content is true. And God's word, as the scriptures reveal, is also a powerful word. God's word is a reality-determining word. Go back to the beginning of the scriptures. God spoke and it was so. That's how he created this universe. That's how he created all things that exist outside of himself. By the word of his power, God spoke. And as Romans 4 verse 17 says, he called those things which be not as though they were. God's word, our Father's word, is a reality determining word. His word is truth. And that applies to every form that God's word takes. The Holy Scriptures, which is his self-revelation of himself to us. His word is truth. 
and therefore trustworthy. Every promise of the scripture is true and trustworthy. That means that when men tinker with the Bible and say there's errors here, there's errors there, or deny its infallibility or deny its inspiration, what they are really saying is God is a liar. No matter what kind of scholastic terminology they use to cover up what they're doing, to touch up their false doctrine, to make it palatable, that's what it is. It's saying God lies. We maintain that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 teaches us that the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed. They are the very breath from God himself. There can be no error, lie, or falsity in the Bible because it is the word of God. At the center of which is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ himself, who is the word of God come down from heaven to reveal God to us. As John 1.18 says, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, declares the Father to us. That is, He exegetes the Father. He shows us the Father. And this Jesus, the Word made flesh, John 1.14 says, He is full of grace and truth. God is truth. God speaks truth. That's the language of Father. By grace. Beautiful, saving grace. You, beloved, have been made a son, a daughter of this father, a member of his household of faith. You were conceived and born in sin. By nature, you were dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, you bore the image of the devil, the father of lies. You came into this world dead in sin, but this God, this Father, by His grace, took you for Himself. He chose you back in eternity in His decree of election, and in time, He realized that decree through the powerful work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ when He gave you new spiritual birth and put a new heart in you and gave you new life. Made you His child and adopted you into His family. So that now, as a member of the household of faith, you can and you must speak differently than the world. Not the language of the world, but the language of God. That is, speak truth in and from the heart, as Psalm 15 says. That's Father's language. And that's Father's rule for His children. Speak truth. Bear no false witness. And so now having seen the character and speech of our Father, let's apply it to ourselves and dig into the ninth commandment and see what it means for us. Father's word about our words. We're going to start with the positive side of Father's word about our words. And that positive side is summarized in the catechism really at the end of Lord's Day 43. This is Father's rule about our speech. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. That's how God's children talk. That's what God's children sound like. Do we sound like that? Well, let's look into this. 
speak and confess the truth uprightly. That's the basic teaching of the catechism here. And this requires, first of all, that we have a proper view of human speech. Human speech is one of God's greatest gifts to us. No other creature in this world speaks. And in this we reflect the glory of God who is the speaking God. God has given us the ability to speak. It's the greatest power and gift that God has given to us. The ability of speech. We must understand that though our speech must reflect God's speech. Our speech is creature speech. We need to know what it's designed to do. Our speech is not designed to create reality like God's word does. Our speech and our words are designed to reflect God-determined reality. Or to put it another way, God's word creates truth. Our words must communicate truth. Catch the difference. Father's word determines. Our word expresses what God has determined. And we may not make our words do what God's word does. And that's really what the lie is. At heart, when you lie, you are trying to use your words to reshape reality. But you don't have the power to do that. So the lie, instead, tries to reshape somebody's perception of reality in order to mislead them. And that usually for our own advantage. That's what the lie is. But true speech, the kind of speech that God's children must speak, is speech that accurately portrays and expresses reality, the way things are, as God has determined them to be. Not trying to shape reality, but express and communicate it. Thus, speak truth, only truth. Speak truth about yourself. Speak truth about your neighbor. Speak truth about things and events in this world. Speak truth to your neighbor. Truth and only truth. That's God's language. That's the calling of the ninth commandment. The catechism very rightly and properly adds an important adverb, doesn't it? It doesn't say, speak the truth, period. It says, speak the truth uprightly. And that points out that an important part of speaking Father's language is not only that the content of our words be accurate, but the way in which we use our words must be godly and God-glorifying. The manner... The manner of speech matters. It does. The idea that if we say something that's true, then it doesn't matter when, how, or why we say it, that notion is as foolish as it is unbiblical. Time matters. Just because something is true doesn't mean we have to say it or may say it. For example, a husband may know something foolish that his wife did, And it may be true, but that doesn't give him the right to indiscriminately speak about that to all and sundry. No, a Christian husband will understand the wisdom of God in Proverbs 11.13, which says, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth a matter. We must speak the truth, but that doesn't mean that every truth we may speak at every time. No. Manner matters. Charity. Love. 
more about the manner. How we speak the truth. We must speak the truth in a godly way. The way our Father speaks. And thus, in our speaking of the truth, we still have to follow the rest of God's law. We must speak the truth uprightly, the catechism says. That is, righteously, in accordance with God's law. And what is the sum of God's law? Love for God and for the neighbor. And what is love? Love is seeking that which is good for the one that you love. Thus, in our speaking, in the way and manner that we speak, we must be seeking the glory of God and the good of the neighbor. That doesn't mean that we may never say hard or firm things. Sometimes love demands that. Thus, the wisdom of Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes hard things must be said, and there is a certain kind of wound that actually serves the healing of one's neighbor. But we must not be harsh. We must not be cruel. We must not be mean in the words that we speak, filled with malice. An important part of this is that we speak with grace, with grace. Not maliciously, but with grace. How often the scriptures emphasize this, un, or rather, upright speech is gracious speech. This is Father's language. Ephesians 4, verse 29, says that our words should minister grace to the hearers. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, let your speech be Always with grace. There's a good test for whether we are speaking the truth uprightly. Can we say in our speaking of the truth that our words are not just full of truth, but full of grace as well? That's Jesus Christ, is it not? The Word made flesh. Back to John 1 verse 14. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And that was Jesus' speech when He lived and walked among us, when He ministered. He always spoke the truth. And sometimes He spoke the truth that contained very hard words. But always His words were gracious. Gracious. Grace and truth together. If you shout truth, truth, but never show any grace, then you probably don't have the truth. Or at very best, you have half a Christ and a truncated gospel. Speak the truth as Father speaks the truth. As Christ, full of grace and truth. Speak the truth uprightly as to its timing, as to its manner and character, and also as to its motive. It's possible for man... To speak something that's true, but he's really speaking it for his own gain. He's self-serving. Or he may speak something true, but his motive is wrong in that he is using that truth in a wicked way in order to hurt his neighbor. Go back to the husband. Perhaps he's upset with his wife. And so he wants to get her back. And so he brings up something that's true about her, but embarrassing. And he uses it as a weapon to hurt her and to get back at her. What he says as to its content might be true. But he's not speaking the truth uprightly. And if he tries to defend his actions by saying, well, it's true, everything I said is factually correct, he shows he doesn't understand the word of God. And so once again, this commandment calls us to take heed not only to the content of our words, but the manner in which we speak them. 
Those who would go about saying, as long as what I say is true, I can say it however I want, or in whatever way I want, or in whatever context I want, don't understand the Scriptures. Speak the truth uprightly, the Bible says. That's our Father's language. And then going out of that, the Catechism speaks about defending and promoting as much as we are able, the honor and good character of our neighbor. That's part of speaking the truth uprightly as well. That's part of Father's word about our words. The ninth commandment is in the second table, the sum of which is love thy neighbor as thyself. Part of how we love our neighbor is by taking care of his name and reputation, his honor, his good character. The way we speak about him should show our love for him, caring about his name. And there's a parallel here in the ninth commandment with the third commandment. On the first table of the law, one of the ways we love God is by caring about God's name, honoring God's name, and glorifying God's name. Likewise, we show love to the neighbor by being careful about how we use his name. A man's good name is important. Those who say it doesn't matter don't know their Bibles. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. Proverbs 22 verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so, Father's word about our words has this application to us this morning. How do we talk about the neighbor? Do we have a concern for his name? Go back to the eighth commandment. We're called to respect our neighbor's property. I dare say most of us would feel ashamed if we were caught going onto the neighbor's property, defacing the siding of his house, maybe writing crude words on his siding, and thus doing damage to his property. But now the scriptures say that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. A man's most Precious possession is his good name. And yet how easily we are willing to drag the neighbor's name through the mud. Vandalize his reputation. Father teaches us here. The same care that you are to have towards your neighbor's property. Towards your neighbor's person in the sixth commandment. You are to have towards his name. Don't use your words as weapons to damage your neighbor. Speak. The truth in love. That's Father's language. But now, still talking about speech and our Father's will for our speech, we need to look at the negative side. Thus far, we've focused on the positive side of the ninth commandment concerning our speech. What speaking God's language looks like. This is what the children of God sound like. But now, what are the children of God not? To sound like. The negative side. Back to the catechism. Right in the middle of the answer. That I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit. As the proper works of the devil. Satan's the father of the lie. Lying is the proper work of the devil. What that means is. That's the kind of work that is. In harmony with Satan's nature. Just as God is truth, and thus he always speaks truth, because that is what is consistent with his divine being, so too Satan, who is the father of the lie, 
always lies because that is who he is. That's consistent with his being. As the fallen angel, Satan. He's the father of the lie. And that lie of Satan really was the first sin that sullied the creation. Even before Adam and Eve fell into sin. Where did it start? It started with the devil misusing speech to deceive. He is the liar from the beginning. Lies and deceit are Satan's language. Lies and deceit are the native tongue of fallen man. That's the language we speak by nature. But now remember, God's grace has come. God's grace has given us a new heart. We are the children of God, not the children of the devil. We are to speak Father's language and reject that old language of Satan, the father of lies. And that's now the negative side of the commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not speak Satan's language. Let's look at that a little bit. Satan's language in its basic form is the lie. Bearing false witness. Giving a false testimony. Whether you're in court or whether you're in casual conversation. The lie is deliberately twisting truth. Whether by saying something that's blatantly false. Or saying, and this is more often the case. Something that is a mixture of truth and falsity. Those are the most effective lies. Lies are deceitful. And they try to put on the clothes of truth. That's why the father of lies makes himself look like an angel of light. There's nothing more devilish than trying to use truth to cloak lying. And that's the art of which Satan is a master. Lying is twisting the truth for your own ends. The liar usurps God's place. The liar tries to be the creator of reality. So many sins come back to this, do they not? When we looked at the Eighth Commandment, we saw how the thief really tries to play God. He's not happy with God's distribution of stuff, and so he takes it upon himself to redistribute God's property for his own ends. Well, so to the liar. The liar is not happy with reality as God has determined it, and so he uses his words to try to reshape it, or to reshape people's perception of it to suit his own ends. That's what lying ultimately is. Lying is playing God. Lying is taking yourself, putting yourself in Genesis 1 and saying, I say, let there be. That's really what lying is. Sinners attempt to reshape reality to suit his own desires. And so lies are always self-serving. When we think about the manifold forms that this sin takes, we can, we can see that. Children, when you lie to dad or mom, maybe you broke something. You don't want to be in trouble for that, so you say you didn't when you really did. Or you say you, you said you did this chore when you really didn't do it. Why are you saying that? Well, it's selfish. You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want the consequences. That's wrong. It's against God's word. That's how Satan uses words. And we need to see that. It's so easy to minimize lies. Little lies. They can't cause that much harm. Oh no. Regardless of how much harm they cause. What we need to see is. Every lie. Whether we think it's little or big. Every lie. Is talking in Satan's language. 
Children, you don't want to talk in Satan's language. You want to talk in God's language. That's why we don't lie. That's why we must not lie. We want to speak God's language. Well, Satan is an expert linguist. His language has many different dialects. And the Catechism goes on to explain some of the prominent dialects in Satan's language. After it speaks about all forms of lies and deceit, it goes on to talk about those. Or rather, up above that phrase I just mentioned, the first part of the question and answer, that I bear no false witness, falsify any man's words, there's one, that I be no backbiter or slanderer, there's another, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, there's another. These are dialects of Satan's language. Let's look at them briefly. Falsifying another man's words, what's that mean? Well, to falsify somebody's words is to give someone's words a different meaning than that person intended. Or to tinker with his words so that it leaves a different impression than the speaker wanted. Again, it's attempting to reshape reality to suit your own purposes, whatever those purposes might be. For example, you report something that somebody said to you, but you add a word, or you change a word, or you even remove a comma or a punctuation mark, which ever so slightly changes the meaning. That's Satan's language. It's so easy to do. That's why it's so common to dishonestly handle other people's words. God says in the ninth commandment, don't do that. That's Satan's tongue. Speak My language, which is truth. My language, which means when you handle another person's words, even if they're your enemy, even if you disagree with them, even if you're engaged in polemics with them, you handle their words truthfully. Truthfully. Christians should never open the devil's toolbox when they're engaging in polemics. There's an important word here. Polemics are necessary. We need to refute error. We need to defend truth. But in all our refuting of error and defending truth, don't open the devil's toolbox and use what we find in there to do it. When that is done, the cause of the truth is only tarnished. We must be careful, careful there. Don't falsify another man's words. That's one dialect of the devil. And you can see that in Genesis 3. When Satan first comes to Eve, what does he say? Yea, hath God said, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He tinkered with God's words ever so slightly so that they left a different impression to mislead Eve down the path he wanted her to go. That's lying. But going on to yet another dialect of the devil. Backbiting, slander. Backbiting is speaking hurtful words behind someone's back. They might be true. They might be false. More likely, they're a mixture of both. But the point is, backbiting is speaking those words with the sinful motive of causing them hurt or simply out of a sinful disregard, a lack of love for one's neighbor. Slander 
takes backbiting and ratchets it, ratchets it up to the next level. Slander is purposely trying to damage somebody's name or reputation by spreading false or malicious information about them. And Psalm 15, notice, strongly condemns them both. This is what a child of God sounds like. Or to put it another way, this is what you should not hear in the words of a child of God. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. That's the devil's language. Go back to Genesis 3. What does Satan say in verses 4 and 5? What does he say to Eve? He contradicts God. He says, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day Ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Not only does the devil falsify God's words here, but he slanders God. He says, Eve, God is trying to keep the greatest good from you. He knows that if you eat this tree, you're going to be like him. You'll be able to decide for yourself what is good and evil. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. Take and eat of this tree. It'll be good for you. Satan's lie was a slander against God. Do we speak this dialect? Do we speak it fluently? One of the ways that God's children can fall back into the use of Satan's language is through gossip. Gossip can contain backbiting, it always does, and gossip sometimes contains slander too. Gossip is spreading hurtful stories about other People that damages reputations, that shapes people's perceptions of other people, often on the basis of false or incomplete information. Scripture says the words of the talebearer are as wounds, Proverbs 18, verse 8. The whisperer separateth chief friends, Proverbs 16, verse 28. That's what Satan's language does, it destroys. Are we gossipers? Oh, how this word needs to search us because this is a sin that is so prevalent, so easy to fall into. And in a small denomination of churches like ours, sometimes it is a besetting sin in our midst. We must beware. We must see it for what it is. This is the devil's tongue. Let us not speak the devil's tongue, but let us speak God's language, which is truth. Truth unto edification. See gossip for what it is. Gossip is the devil's propaganda. It's the devil's propaganda. That's how he starts fires all over the place. Wildfires that cannot be controlled, that cause damage, great damage. Let us take heed to ourselves in this area. How do we use our tongues? How do we speak about other people? What do we do when we hear news or stories about someone or what they did? Speak truth. Speak Father's language. Not the devil's language. Well, we must move on. We've looked at, really, the main idea of the ninth commandment. God's word for our words in speech, how we are to use our tongues, how we are to speak. But the catechism includes with speech another very important category of things, and that's judgment. The ninth commandment 
concerns judgment. It expresses Father's will for how we make and form judgments. We are to speak like our Father, but we are also to judge as our Father judges. Starting with God, our Father. He's judge. He's the judge of all men. Because he is God. He's the creator. And all moral, rational creatures, men, angels, and demons, and Satan himself, are accountable to God for their deeds. And one day they shall stand before God, the judge. But even before that final day of judgment, God, the judge, is rendering his judgment upon the acts and the thoughts and the desires and the words of rational, moral creatures every day. God is the God who searches the heart. God is the God who weighs the thoughts and the intents and the purposes of the heart. God is all-seeing, all-knowing, and therefore his judgment is always right. His judgment is always according to perfect knowledge. His judgments... His sentences, his verdicts, his conclusions, if you may use that word, are always in perfect harmony with himself as the Holy One, as the rock of truth. God is the perfect judge. God judges, therefore, justly and truthfully, always. Now, to apply that to us as children of our Father, this means that we are called to judge uprightly, justly, and truthfully. Now, we understand that our judging is different from God's. We do not sit upon a judgment seat over one another. That's not the idea. But when we speak of judging, we're speaking about discerning right from wrong evaluating the actions, deeds, words of other people, evaluating them in light of God's word. And that's something we're called to do. When the catechism says that I do not judge, it's not saying all judgment is forbidden. It's saying, as the catechism goes on, that we not judge rashly or unheard. That we not join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. What is forbidden is rash, unheard judgment. We'll get to that in a moment. So we see, and this is an application for our day, that the world's cry, judge me not, is a complete misapplication of the truth of Scripture. We are called to judge. You can't live the Christian life without judging. The world says, don't judge me, which means you may not have an opinion about my life choices, my morals, what I do. You just have to accept me for what I am. I determine my reality and you have to accept it. Don't judge me. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's rebellion against God. The Christian must judge. He must try the spirits. The the word of God is his light. The word of God is the standard by which we must judge all things. The Christian is called to judge. The Christian is called to evaluate actions, words, and the rest according to the scriptures. But now, in that judgment, the ninth commandment requires that we be just and truthful. That's the point. Just and truthful in our judgment. You see, Satan wants to be a judge as well. Satan has a certain language that he uses in judgment, and it's false accusation. 
The Bible also calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He's a false accuser. He's false in his judgments and in his evaluations. We must be like our Father, true and just, when we judge. And so the Catechism points out a couple of things that we are called to avoid. And the first is, we are to avoid judging rashly and unheard. What does that mean? Well, to judge rashly means to rush to a conclusion about something. To judge unheard means to make a judgment about somebody without hearing the full story, without all the facts, without listening to what they might have to say. It's forming an opinion, rendering a judgment about someone without checking the facts, jumping to conclusions without sufficient grounds. Some examples to make it clear. In marriage first. Picture this scenario. Husband comes home from work. He's a little grumpy. It was a bad day. So he's a little curt with his words. The wife has also had a difficult day in the home. The kids were misbehaving. And they're both a little short. And they both read into each other's words. And make judgments about the other. And before long, they're in a fight. Well, you did this. You were this way. You weren't. But really, it stems from they're judging of one another. They're reading into each other's mannerisms, lack of words, whatever it may be. When really, before forming a judgment of the other, they just needed to talk. Talk about the day that they had. It's so easy to judge rashly. Or take another example. Someone interpreting another's words in the worst possible light without talking to that person about what they meant. And then going around spreading that judgment as if it were fact. Maybe because it makes a good story. Or maybe because you don't like that person and so you want to believe the worst possible conclusion about what they said or did. That's judging rashly or unheard. It's not showing respect for truth, but what you want. A lack of concern for reality and more of a concern with what suits me. That's how the devil functions in the arena of judgment. Warning about social media then. Social media is a breeding ground for rash judgments. Not only does social media produce a litter of lies, but it's a breeding ground for rash judgments. Things pop up, there's articles, there's all the rest of things. How quickly people come to conclusions about persons and events, which they really don't know much about. We must be careful in the forming of our judgments to make judgments as God does. Justly and according to truth. We want to speak God's language in all of our speech, including in the arena of judgment. The man who loves God's truth will despise all perversions of truth, whatever those perversions may be. Whether it's a perversion of truth about God and false doctrine, or a perversion of truth about the neighbor in some rumor, in slander, or backbiting, or the rest. The man who loves the truth will strive mightily to pass judgment on no man and join in condemning no man rashly or unheard. He will seek the facts and he will extend a judgment of charity. We must heed the wisdom of Proverbs 18 verse 13. 
He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Sometimes the wisest thing you can do is withhold judgment or say, I don't know what to think about that or to think about them or to think about what he or she said because I don't have all the facts. Satan is the one who rushes in and loves to make rash unheard judgments because there's deceit, there's lies, there's falsity in there and that's his language. But the children of God want truth, truth. That's father's language. Now our Father calls us to speak truth, to judge truthfully, and all of this from the heart. And that's where we end. Our Father's will goes deeper than just our words and the judgments that we form in our minds, but goes all the way into our heart, because that's where our words start, do they not? Our words are the issues of our heart. Truth must be in the heart. Psalm 51 verse 6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. That's God's desire. And Psalm 15 verse 2, Speaketh the truth in his heart. That's God, where we began. God is truth down to the very core of his being. And by the grace of God, that's what the child of God needs to be too. We must love truth down to the very core of our being. God is truth. He's the overflowing fountain of truth. All his words are true. All of his works are done in truth. Now here, having heard about this commandment of God's law, we stand exposed, don't we? And we see our need for a savior. God is true, just, and right. His ways are judgment. And for the sinner, that means trouble. Because we are not true. We are so often liars, and liars deserve to be punished. Ninth commandment exposes your sin and mine. Verse 1 of Psalm 15 asks, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's law, we don't see, do we? We don't see what Psalm 15 describes. We see our sin. We don't walk uprightly. Often we do not work righteousness. Often we do not speak truth in our heart or from our heart. Often we do backbite, slander, judge rashly and unheard. And so we cry out with Isaiah. Isaiah who said at the vision of the holy God, Woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Then, You see, that word made flesh, that word made flesh was full of grace and truth. The word made flesh in whom mercy and truth meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Jesus Christ, the word who was made flesh so that in our flesh he might suffer and die for liars, backbiters, accusers like you and me. Christ who atoned for all of our sins, all of our deceit, all of that backbiting, who shed his precious blood to cover it. Christ, the truth speaker, who never once wavered from the truth, and whose righteousness is imputed to us as a robe that covers us. God looks at us in union with this Christ, 
Though we of ourselves still have so much sin, though we so often still speak in the devil's language, yet God sees us in Christ. Christ, the one who spoke only truth and never a lie. By grace, we belong to Christ who is the truth. And by His Spirit, we are more and more being sanctified by His truth. His Spirit leads us into truth. His Spirit kindles and stokes a flame of love for the truth in our hearts. So that by grace, the saved believer has the truth of God fixed in his heart. And it will never depart. So that by grace, more and more, we do begin, though it's but a small beginning, to look like the child of God in Psalm 15 here. We really, we love truth from the heart. There's the power. There's the power to heed this household rule of God our Father and speak His language. The power is Christ. The power to put away lying is found in the gospel of Christ, cherishing that gospel. The gospel of Christ brings forth the fruit of love for God, love for the neighbor, gratitude to our Father. We want to. We want to speak Father's language. You're not the children of the devil, the father of lies. You're the children of God, beloved. God is your father, the God of truth. And he has put his truth in your heart. He has kindled faith by which you grasp hold of that truth and love that truth. He has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of grace and truth. Now, hear his word. Look like your father. Sound like your father. And in speech, and in judgment, let your words be full of grace and truth. Amen. Faithful God and heavenly father, we thank thee for the instruction of the ninth commandment. We thank thee for its exposure of our sin. We need to see it. How often we use our tongues in the wrong way. How often we speak in the different dialects of the devil. Cleanse us. Wash us. Make us clean. Take from the altar of the cross that fiery coal to cleanse our lips and our hearts. So that our tongues which once were set on fire of hell may now be set on fire of heaven. And that our words may come forth as words full of grace and truth to the glory of thee, our God. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.